0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: I would wake up at 6 or 6.30 and write till about 10 or 10.30. So I'd get a good four hours in before work every day. And then I wrote every Saturday, and that's how I wrote a novel. And yeah, that's how I eventually transitioned out of reality television, was through writing fiction. <laughs> it's uh, not, the, not the most foolproof way uh, to uh, change careers, but it ended up working out. I haven't had to go back to TV since, and I suppose that's revealing of my attitude, just by choice of that phrase. Like, I enjoyed it, but I much prefer making stuff up for a living. You know, sitting alone in a room and having people talk to me in my head uh, <laughs> and wake me up in the middle of the night, and demand that certain things happen to them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've been incredibly fortunate. I'm pinching myself like to this day. Like, oh man, my third book's coming out. I can't, I literally can't believe it.
0: and welcome back to the writer files this is your humble host kelton reed wishing you pages patience and perseverance per usual new york times bestselling author Jay ryan straddle spoke to me about the unsurpassed passive aggressiveness of midwesterners writing about the restaurant industry during the pandemic and his latest novel saturday night at the lakeside supper club jay is the award-winning and new york times best-selling author of kitchens of the great midwest and bestseller the lager queen of minnesota named one of the year's best books by NPR, USA Today, Booklist, and many others. His latest novel is Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club, described as a sharp and poignant tale of a couple from two different restaurant families in rural Minnesota, one who's inherited her grandparents' old-fashioned supper club, and the other an heir to a chain of homestyle diners, known for putting those supper clubs out of business. The book was named an Amazon Best of April 2023. New York Times bestselling author Roxanne Gay said of the novel, This is a perfect book. And in his starred review, Kirkus called it a loving ode to supper clubs, the Midwest, and the people there who try their best to make life worth living. Jay has also worked extensively in TV, story editing, and producing shows for VH1, MTV, ABC, Fox, TLC, A&E, Discovery, and History, working primarily for original productions from 2008 to 2014, He was the senior story producer on Deadliest Catch and Ice Road Truckers, and a supervising producer on Storage Wars and Storage Wars Texas. In this file, Jay and I discussed what it was like during the sunset of the halcyon days at MTV and VH1, producing a popular reality TV show in the Canadian Arctic, how he wrote a novel in the margins of editing Storage Wars, the unique dining experience of a Midwestern supper club, why writers need to ditch perfection, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of the Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right. We are back. We are rolling. I'm honored today to be joined by an esteemed guest. We have the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author, J. Ryan Straddle is joining us today. Thanks for uh, taking the time to hang out with us and talk about writing today.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I'm honored to be here.
0: Yeah. I can't wait to talk about the latest and and all the things that you're up to. And uh, yeah, um, what's the vibe over there? I know you're, you're super busy. It looks like you're Uh, Just now kind of like launching into this like crazy three-month-long book tour.
1: Yeah, the book comes out tomorrow and the day after. I'm on the road and we'll be on the road and stops and starts until the end of July. Yeah. Wow, wow. I've got at least one event a week every week. But uh, the first three weeks in particular, I've got at least three (laughs) two-a-days. wow yeah it's a uh, exhausting schedule, and I'm already exhausted um a, a tree fell on my house uh about a month ago, and oh, no. I'm there now uh in one of the rooms that wasn't affected uh but yeah, dealing with that, you know, dealing with contractors and insurance adjusters and oh cow okay. I, I I'm delaying the demo work by a few days so I can do these interviews <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's wild
1: in any case uh yeah no, it's a crazy time in a lot of ways, but hey, this book that i've spent three and a half years writing is coming out in the world and i can't believe it yeah it just feels improbable to me (laughs) yeah like i don't know how you feel about this as a writer but even just thinking like other people are reading this like how even three books in i'm absolutely flabbergasted that strangers read my work and i wake up and i pinch myself in the morning like oh man i i have a book that's coming out i can't believe it i can't growing up as a kid in a small town in southern minnesota books came from another planet i didn't know any writers no one no one said i could be a writer no one said i couldn't but it just wasn't a career path you know
0: yeah um well congrats on on the successes and of course yeah this must be a really exciting time for you and i you know i understand that you wrote the book during the pandemic and um yeah yeah i mean you could talk a little bit about obviously the genesis of saturday night at the lakeside supper club your latest but i i do also want to just turn the clock back a little bit as we do with so many authors to talk about your superhero origins because you know you weren't always a, a novelist i understand you you've been a short story writer you've been published widely um but you were also like a tv producer uh on some kind of marquee um shows which is pretty fascinating to me but yeah take us back a little bit and kind of Explain this circuitous path that that you know. So many authors do have, but this is this is a pretty interesting story. It sounds like. No thanks, Kelton.
1: Oh yeah, when I uh, graduated high school, I knew I wanted to be a writer, but like I said, I didn't know anyone making a living at it, and I was certainly was not given any path to that. I don't think I even knew about MFA programs, you know. if, if in any case, I was years away from that. Either way, I. I was too chicken to even major in English or creative writing at college. I majored in radio, TV, film. Because even then, I thought, I'm going to have to learn a trade. I'm going to have to learn some way to make a living while I write on the side. Because the people I knew who that were writers, like my mom, did that. Had a full-time day job, wrote on the side. You know, like, that's just what you do. That's that's what I know. And so I thought, well, I'll choose a somewhat creative profession, you know? Radio, TV, film, and... uh. That led me out to Los Angeles where I moved after graduating college. I went to Northwestern University and I'd taken an internship out here the summer before my senior year and knew it was where I wanted to, to, to move. And in time, I got a job at VH1 right before the boom of reality television, like right at the point where VH1 is transitioning from VH1, like music only was its slogan when I was hired there. And by the time I left, it was already rapidly becoming a wall-to-wall reality TV station, which in short, or it, it became like a like very much music incidental, <laughs> music rarely. <laughs> um, yeah, but nonetheless, it, it engendered that set of skills that quickly became marketable. And I also found that working at MTV networks, I worked at MTV as well. I worked at MTV News, mm-hmm. which blew my mind. Have that MTVNews.com email address as a kid grew up watching MTV. That someday I'd walk the same hallowed halls as you know Martha Quinn. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Uh, so cool. I was already pinching myself just having done that. But I also found that oh, you know, you work for a place like that; they leverage the cool factor against you. You make a fraction. Oh, you could be making somewhere else. I had some friends leave uh, MTV Networks and get hired on The Bachelor and bachelorette like that you know yes and entertainment was the production company behind them and like oh man they, they pay three times as much for the same work and so i went over there and i worked on the first couple seasons of bachelorette you know it, not a perfect fit for me but my mom really liked it she watched the show would watch it for me in the credits have to pause really quick because my credit would go by in a second like a fraction of a second one of the really speedy ones at the end and uh but she would pause you know like there is his name there it is Sometimes it's easy to find because the initial at the beginning. So that was fun. And then from there, um, I ended up uh, years later, as one does, eventually transitioning to Ice Road Truckers. I was at the WGA. It was right before the writer's strike in 07, around that time. And so none of us were going to take any kind of union work. Not that there was a lot of union work and unscripted. It's pretty rare to this day. Um, but they said, hey, if anyone wants to take a non-union job, there's a reality show hiring that's shooting the Canadian Arctic starting in February and going till April. When you get there, there will be only three or four hours of sunlight, and the average temperature outside is going to be between 40 and 20 below. Um, and I instantly raised my hand. I, I said, this sounds great. I'm never going to get to go to this region of the world again unless i do it now like and then someone's paying for it like yeah someone's buying a round-trip ticket for me to go to inuvik and I'm i'm in like i'm from minnesota i've been cold i i wasn't cold like i was cold there like a couple (laughs) of times it got that cold in minnesota and i just didn't go out like i had to go out every day in this cold It's a very different experience, but nonetheless, I felt emboldened by my Minnesota background to withstand (laughs) the Canadian Arctic for close to three months. And I did a good enough job there that they hired me for other shows like Deadliest Catch and the Storage Wars franchise. I also worked a number of pilots that didn't make it to air, but I worked for this company, Original Productions, for a long time, and that's where I was working when I wrote my first published novel, which was not my first manuscript, but the first one that I was accepted for publication. Kitchens of the Great Midwest, I wrote well, writing, uh, well, being the supervising story producer or supervising producer, I forget what my credit was, but I was in an edit bay. I was no longer in the field uh, on a show called Storage Wars, Texas, uh, an incredibly easy show to edit and produce. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my editor, Joe Mikan, and I could do it in about five hours a day. He'd show up late, which was good for me because I was a morning writer at the time being a father of a toddler now i'm no longer a morning writer but that's another story i i would wake up at six or six thirty and write till about 10 or ten thirty, so i'd get a good four hours in before work every day and then i wrote every saturday and that's how i wrote a novel and yeah that's how i eventually transitioned out of reality television was through writing fiction <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> not the not the most foolproof way uh to uh change careers but it ended up working out. I haven't had to go back to TV since. And I suppose that's revealing of my attitude just by choice of that phrase. Like I enjoyed it, but I much prefer making stuff up for a living, you know, sitting alone in a room and having people talk to me in my head uh, (laughs) and wake me up in the middle of the night, demand that certain things happen to them. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I've been incredibly fortunate. I'm pinching myself like to this day, like, Oh man, my third book's coming out. I can't. I literally can't believe it. I'm just so humbled by this experience, and just so blown away that other people even think about reading my work. I just can't wrap my head around it. So yeah, it's surreal to me that this book is coming out. It's so personal to me. There's so much of my own life in it. I had a a child. My first son uh, was born in December 2019. I'd been working on this book about six months by then. And and not only recalibrated my life as it does, uh, but the book, you know, a lot changed in terms of my focus and the kind of themes I was tackling and how I tackled them. So, yeah, this book is a really personal slice of life in terms of how the last few years have been for me and what I was thinking about, what I was concerned about during that time. And also what I wanted to see in the world. I, I set out to write a book that was also funny, you know, like, At the center of it was this passive-aggressive mom, you know, whose daughter doesn't pick her up from church, so she just waits there for months. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was just hilarious. And also completely believable where I'm from. Like, (laughs)
0: Like,
1: you think that's passive-aggressive? You just wait. Yeah. Like, these people (laughs) set records. Yeah. And uh, I, I enjoyed that story. I wrote that story first, that Mario's whole timeline was the first thing I wrote. And I thought, this is fun. This is taking my mind off of, you know, oh, the difficulties of having a a newborn, a pandemic, you name it. I wrote this whole book that takes place in restaurants during a time when I rarely went to one. (laughs) Yeah, and so it was a a utopia I got to escape into, like this world of this homey, welcoming supper club. During this year, I didn't go to restaurants at all. I, I invented this restaurant to go to. So I could be happy, and the book makes me really happy, like just like uh, the owner of the supper club says in the book, I want my customers to feel better leaving than they did arriving, and I want readers to feel the same way I want them to walk away from this book feeling like, "Oh wow, that was that was fun, that was great. I, I enjoyed that, you know because I, 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 I felt that way writing this book. I'd get up after a day of writing and go, "Oh, that was great. Wow, I want to do this again tomorrow." <laughs>
0: Well, that, um, yeah, that's heartening and obviously um, comes out in the work. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The latest, of course, is Saturday night at the Lakeside Supper Club, a, a poignant tale of a couple from two different restaurant families in rural Minnesota. Um, one has inherited her grandparents' old-fashioned supper club, one of which you speak, and the other is heir to a chain of homestyle diners like the evil homestyle diners. No, <laughs> but uh, known for putting supper clubs out of business. And that, that you know, that's obviously, it, it's interesting that you wrote it during the pandemic at a time when, I, um, you know, the hospitality and... And uh, the restaurant industry suffered so greatly yeah. <laughs> due, t- due to, the, to the shuttering of so many spots and kind of this pivot to so many, you know, like takeout concerns and, you know, just the issues with, God, so yeah. many, it's just kind of a nightmare scenario. And I was actually, oddly enough, um, helping a buddy at a, um, I was working at a uh, brewery right, mm. right when the pandemic hit. And it was just like so devastating to so many people.
1: Oh, yeah, if they didn't have growler programs or other kind of takeout-friendly programs like that, they had to pivot to them really quickly. Yeah. You know, a lot of really small breweries that didn't have canning or bottling, which is a lot of them, you know, just... Yeah. Yeah, it was really tough. Yeah, and also, I was not catching these current and former supper club owners at their best because of this. Like, one person I interviewed, so his supper club went out of business like around the time I interviewed him. And I got a lot of emotion from that guy, a lot of a lot of truth, but I think I got him at a point where, um, you know, yeah, like like I said, he was not at his best, but nonetheless, he was extremely helpful and extremely honest. Yeah, it was extremely tough, especially restaurants like that that are so environment focused that such a huge part of the draw is being there. Like I don't know many supper clubs that had an agile takeout scenario before the pandemic it just it's not wired for that it's a third it's a third space it's a place where you go to hang out with family and friends outside of work or home and that's a tremendous aspect of its value in a community is that it's a place to go and see people in person you know i'm I'm not saying the supper club food can't be great on the go you know i'm sure it is as much as any restaurant but so much of it is being there in, in that environment consuming it at your own at your own pace and making spontaneous decisions based on the breadth of that menu and uh, going to things like a salad bar which for a moment i thought like we're never going to see a salad bar again (laughs) yeah there was a period of time where i thought boy that that's a period of americana that's that's done yeah yeah the buffet (laughs) exactly yeah like they're cooked yeah and to hear one supper club tell it they invented Salad bars. Uh, there is a supper club in Plover, Wisconsin, called Sky Club that claims to have been the first, and I believe them. I can't think of many restaurants that a supper club is more at home at that a salad bar is more at home at than a supper club is. Just perfectly complimentary. But in terms of just a wealth of choice and and unusual choice, that's another thing that the salad bars at supper clubs always have some quirky stuff in them that you (laughs) you wouldn't see at a separate club at a, at a sizzler or a chain, you know, like what, like how many different kinds of jello, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Pickled herring, cheese curds, you know, like, yeah, you name it, you name it. Yeah. Spetzel. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's remarkable what you'll see at a supper club because they are the fingerprints very literally and figuratively of their owners. They are the owner's tastes, uh, made manifest. And, uh, at any point on the menu you're you're going to you're going to see a restaurant that is quite unlike, you know, down to its essentials. Not not quite like any other restaurant in the world. And that has value to me. And as a diner and as like an enthusiast of eating, <laughs> I value those experiences that you just simply can't have anywhere else.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you chose kind of a, a multi-generational uh, restaurant family and the importance to the community of these supper clubs and, and restaurants in general kind of kind of interesting because the, the restaurant itself is, is, is a family, right? It, yeah. They call, they call it the restaurant family because everybody's just kind of so close. You're just kind of in the trenches together and, you know, getting out these long shifts. Really, as you put it, to just kind of make people feel better you know that hospitality piece is like you're making memories and, and so many people are coming to the to the restaurant to you know celebrate or um mark a momentous occasion or also as you put it you know just kind of that 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 community piece is so important such an important piece but yeah um the the work wends these pieces together brilliantly and uh i thought Man, Roxanne Gay blurbed the book and said, This is a perfect book. (laughs) I can't believe that.
1: I'm I'm (laughs) floored. Floored.
0: When you got that blurb, were you just like, What on earth? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. That's so cool. (laughs) Well, congrats on that. Um, Kirk has called it a loving ode to supper clubs, the Midwest, and the people there who try their best to make life worth living. And of course, it doesn't encompass the book. But um, yeah, talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously, the, the, your background and and you know you've talked some about the the inspiration and the um just the seeds and the genesis of the book but um talk uh, talk a little bit about again just the process and you know are you still a morning writer or ha- has as you mentioned has that changed since your kids have gotten older um what's what's kind of your process now can you describe like a, a really good day for us
1: oh yeah yeah the writer Clint Smith had a great interview about this on NPR recently, and I totally identified with it. Um, I've just, my writing contours have changed as my son has aged. You know, I, at the beginning I wrote when he slept. Uh, (laughs) And now I kind of write when he's at school or, you know, also after he goes to bed, but yeah, by virtue of having a person in the house, a, a very strange roommate as my, my partner and I call him sometimes. <laughs> uh, who is certainly willing to wake up before us. I'm, yeah. I've been forced to become a night writer, and that's fine. I find myself far more tolerant of provisional writing situations than I would have as a childless writer. You know, when I could set up all kinds of ideal scenarios and have preferences that could be easily met. Now it's like I can write anywhere, any time of day, and I'm. I think a much more efficient writer. Certainly you hear that a lot in terms of any kind of creative activity. What's that, like Leonard Bernstein quote, what you need is a plan and not quite enough time. Yeah, it's it, it's these barriers to your free time that help you use that free time more efficiently. And um, a child is obviously <laughs> not merely a barrier. Uh, he's, he's a, oh my God. Just what a, what a wonderful human being. I feel, I, I, I keep saying, I, I'm, I feel so lucky he found us. That's how I put it. Like, how did you find your way into our lives? You're just a remarkable person. <laughs> and already at age three, he's so clearly his own person. He's not either of us. Mm. He's not a mm-hmm. chip off the old block. He's from some other block. It's amazing. Yeah, and I deeply admire him and just am marveling at him all the time. But you know, at the same time, at the end of the day, if I'm not totally exhausted, and i try not to be try to stay energetic for everything best i can and yeah it's changed a lot of habits i'm drinking alcohol way less than i used to before i was a parent you know probably drinking coffee more I'm trying to get exercise more now that i got to keep up with the 3 year old he's fast you know he's got better endurance than me i'll tell you that he's at least as fast as i am at least it seems like that like yeah you can cross a parking lot like a you know it's it's quick as a bat. Yeah, so I, I've i had to change a lot of habits, but that's when I began to realize they're habits. They're not requirements. They're just preferences. And, you know, ditch perfection. Yeah, like this ideal writing situation I once had. Okay, maybe that doesn't need to be attained. What, what What's important is that you get the work done. Slap on a pair of headphones if you need to and uh, write you know, in the passenger seat of a car, right in a hotel room, right in a parking lot, right, a, right on an airplane. You know, I've done all of this. I've become way less sentimental about my space and its, and its needs. And uh, just, you know, when, when it hits me, I, I, I do it. Um, my, my son is aware that I write books now. He's, he loves books. And uh, <laughs> whenever he sees one of my books on the shelves, it's like, this is daddy's book. And he brings it to me. Like, like I must have it. Like I, I not only wrote it, but I own it, and I need to have yeah. it. Like, like what's it doing over there? This is Daddy's book. He needs to have it now. And, and so, everywhere I go in the house, there's like a stack of my books around where my son has left them for me.
0: Yeah,
1: um, yeah, it's very cute. But yeah, it's I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, I don't know if it's made me a better writer. It's made me a different writer. You know, giving me additional uh, things to think about when I write uh experiences that fuel the experiences of my characters in a different way or a more certainly a more profound and detailed way when it comes to parenting as expressed in my fiction but yeah i i i i'm going to stop short of saying it's anything close to being a requirement <laughs> it, it just like any experience in life it makes you a different person uh and a different writer because of that but you know just just to the extent that it does yeah it's like, by and large, I feel like I'm, um, I'm the same person I've always been. Uh, like I want to write about the same topics in the same way. I just get to write about a few additional topics in a deeper way through the experience of being a parent.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Well, uh, congrats on the latest. Obviously, um, you have got a, a lot of work to do moving ahead. And I know we, we don't have a ton of time here, but I wanted to wrap up with your, um, just kind of your final pro wisdom. To fellow writers, Um, I always ask writers a fun one uh, before we wrap, just if you could have dinner with any author from any era to your favorite place in the world, who would you take? And where would you take them?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, My mom was a writer, so I'm going to say her. I would take her to, boy, what would she like? Oh, man, there's so many. Oh, man, I'd want to bring her to Gwela Getsa. Here in Los Angeles. It's a Oaxacan mm. restaurant. Ooh. It's it's like being at a wedding. It's, oh, nice. it's an uproariously <laughs> vibrant atmosphere. And it's some of the best Oaxacan food I've ever had in America.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, and it'd be her. She's the reason I'm a writer. She was a writer herself. Yeah. It's hard to pick anyone else. You know, and she'd love it. She was she loved a good margarita, and they have excellent ones. Perfect. So it's that. I think about that. I, every year on her. On her death day, I um, download a new Bob Dylan album that was a favorite musician we shared. And I hmm. try to go to a bar and have a Karen drink, which is the fruitiest, sweetest drink possible. Uh, <laughs> it was a blended margarita, you know, pina colada. Yeah. Yeah. Brand, brandy brandy, old fashioned. all Any of that. Yeah.
0: I love it. Well, I appreciate you and your time and your wisdom. Um, your final pearl of wisdom for writers on just how to keep going you already gave us some really really important messages and i think my takeaway was ditch perfection but yeah do you have one other piece
1: yeah every writing you do makes you a better writer so i mean like a lot of novelists i have a novel that will never see the light of day but i'm grateful for it every day and i wouldn't change a thing so if you get discouraged by rejection not being able to find an agent not being able to find an editor just keep going you know i it's hard to, of course, it's easy to say that, you know, but it was so hard at the time that that book wasn't, it didn't even get didn't even get acknowledged by agents, let alone uh, represented. But I wouldn't be here today without that book. It moved me forward and view it like that. View every day of writing as progress, no matter what happens to the writing itself.
0: I got the perfect place to stop. Thank you so much. Uh, best of luck on your tour. Your whirlwind uh, tour for the next three months, but we appreciate you come back in the future and uh, wrap with us again.
1: Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, such wonderful questions. Uh, thank you so much, Kel.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm.